Oh, that's right. And, and we're both not extremely tall. And, and we both kind of like have hair challenges. So, you know, so, so we're all alike is what I'm trying to say. We're all alike. So anyway, so here's what happened. You know, I, have, I, I enjoy coming back on Sunday nights and re-talking about and rediscovering some truths about the morning service. We left Dr. Luke kind of hanging out there. Maybe one day we'll go back and finish him up. But I really like solidifying some truths. And I really meant what I said this morning, guys. And I'm happy I share with George Mitchell tonight. I share with, uh, I think, Norm on the front row here. If we could grasp and get a hold of the truth, the app that was taught this morning, it really would change you. It would change churches. And I do believe it would change our community and change our nation. Somehow and somewhere, we have got to the point where going to God is simply, I'm sorry. And it's the way, you know, it's funny, with salvation, we got to the point where just pray a prayer. Just pray a prayer. And, and we got to the point of, of confession being just telling God you're sorry with no intention of changing. And I'm telling you, folks, if we could grasp that truth that really confession involves action. Confession involves action. It would change because the world would see such a difference in us. The way we do business, the way we treat people, and just the way we live, it would be something very, very radical. So I began looking for something to follow up with on tonight with the confession. And I found myself in Ezra. Okay? Now, that's not a common book. Mary Powell leaned forward and said, what book are you preaching from? I'm going to open up. I said, Ezra. She goes, you're kidding. <laughs> so, so kind of get Psalms. Okay? And then, then go to or Genesis, okay? So you should hit Psalms, then you should hit Job, then you should hit Esther. And not that I'm just smart, I looked in the context, man, I had it right. Esther, then you should hit Nehemiah, and then you should hit Ezra, okay? So go from Psalm back toward Genesis, about five books, and you'll find the book of Ezra. And Ezra was a contemporary of Nehemiah, okay? If I've got my history right, and believe me, I'm not a great historian for the Old Testament, but, but if I got it right, Ezra went back from the, being exiled in Babylon to rebuild the temple, Nehemiah went back and rebuilt the wall. So they were kind of contemporaries, if you will, of that time. And I'm going to tell you this. You know, I've got, I've got on this piece of paper here, I've got um, 26 passages of Scripture of, of, this, of, the, of Ezra 9 and 10. I, I, my intention is not really to preach it. I know that's weird. But I read this, guys, and it grabbed my heart. I read this. And it grabbed my heart. And I'm not just going to read it to you tonight. We'll make some comments along the way. But I want you to hear this story. I want you to hear it. I'll make some comments. And I want you to remember what we talked about this morning in confession. Again, with the concept, if you're Catholic, going to a priest. If you're a Protestant, going to God saying, hey, God, I'm sorry. Getting up with no brokenness, with no change. And then I want you to look at Ezra's story tonight and see the difference. Because you see tonight a portrait of true confession. If David's Psalm 51 is a portrait of true confession, then this would hang alongside on the same wall as a beautiful portrait of confession. Let's read the Word of God. Let's let it speak to our hearts. Let's let it grab our heart. Now, the Bible says this. After these things have been done, and I'm in Ezra chapter 9, verse number 1. After these things have been done, the leaders approached me and said, here's a problem. A little report. The people of Israel... Now, notice this, the priest and the Levites. Say the priest and the Levites. The religious leaders, the guys who really should have known better. Uh, the people should have. The preachers and the deacons, okay, have not separated themselves from the surrounding peoples whose detestable practices 
are like those of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Pezzarites, the Jebusites, the Ammonites, the Moabites, the Egyptians, and the Amorites. In fact, here's what's happened. Indeed, the Israelite men have taken some of their daughters as wives for themselves and their sons so that the holy seed has become mixed with the surrounding peoples. Now, now the law from the get-go of going into the foreign land was do not intermarry. Do not intermarry. We see it in, in the New Testament. What fellowship have righteousness with unrighteousness? But do not intermarry with these four. Because what did God know? When you start marrying outside of that faith, the one true God, when you start marrying these ones that worship other gods, who's going to change? You are. That's the problem. That's what he knew, okay? Now, the leaders and the officials, the guys who should have known better, have taken the lead in this unfaithfulness. They're leading the pack. The pastors and the deacons are leading the pack, he's saying, all right? Now watch, watch. Here's his response. That's the report. This is the problem. The people and the priests and the Levites are intermarrying like God said not to do. Now, time out. Remember this. You're going to hear in a moment. Remember this. They are just coming back from 70 years of captivity in Babylon. And they weren't there on vacation. They weren't there because we need a change of scenery. They weren't there because of job opportunities were better in Babylon. They were there because they were sent into exile for their sin. So they just completed 70 years. Some of these exiles go back to build the temple back again. And the first thing they start doing is disobeying God. Okay? Got that picture? That's the report. Look at Ezra's response. When I heard this report, I tore my tunic and my robe. I, now, Norm, you couldn't do this. I pulled out some of the hair from my head. Those of us who are lacking would be very careful in that part of it. And my beard. And I sat down devastated. Now, let me read that again without the humor. When I read this report, when I heard this report, I tore my tunic and robe, pulled out some of the hair from my head and beard, and I sat down devastated. Now, let me ask you this question. How many foreign wives did Ezra have? None. But the mere report that his people, the, the exiled Jews returning, had did this caused him to be devastated. He was devastated over the sin of the people of Israel. And my obvious question is this. When is the last time we were devastated by sin? When is the last time? Now, now, time out. I'm not talking about our country. Let's just be honest. Most of them are lost. We should be devastated, but we got in our heads that we're no longer the great Christian nation that we proposed to be at one time. Our people have turned their back on God. Our leadership has, and, the, and a large segment of society that dictated the social mores of our country have turned their back on the Judeo-Christian values and foundation. I'm talking about when's the last time you were brokenhearted over the sin of God's people. Notice Ezra wasn't brokenhearted about the Moabites and Ammonites. He was broken because God's people didn't care anymore. And when's the last time we were broken? When's the last time it just tugged at our heart because God's people weren't being godly? When's the last time we were devastated? Now, in verse number four, my Bible, um, this is the Holman Christian Standard, my Bible had one of those subtitles they stick in, and this is what grabbed my attention when I was looking at the topic, Ezra's Confession. 
Ezra, now he didn't have a foreign wife. Look at Ezra's confession. First off, watch this. Everyone who trembled at the words of the God of Israel gathered around me. Who gathered? The people who feared God. The people of like mind. When Ezra heard this and they saw the effect it had on Ezra, people of like mind, the ones who trembled still, who knew the power and the force of God, gathered around him. All right? Because of the unfaithfulness of the exiles. Well, I sat devastated until the evening offering. And at the evening offering, I got up from my humiliation with my tunic and robe torn. And then I fell down and on my knees, I spread out my hands to Yahweh, my God. And guys, what follows is some of the most powerful accounts of confession I have read in the Word of God. And I just hope that God will honor His Word tonight as we read through this and make a few comments. Alright? It is powerful. Look what, well, look what He says in verse 6. And here's what I said. He said, My God, I am ashamed and embarrassed to lift my face toward you, my God. Because our iniquities are higher than our heads and our guilt is as high as the heavens. Ezra says, I am ashamed to even come before you today because our sin and our iniquity is so high. Our guilt has been terrible. From the days of our fathers until the present. Because of our iniquities, we have been handed over. There's the captivity part. Handed over, along with our kings and priests, to the surrounding kings and to the sword and captivity and plundering and open shame as it is today. He said, I am ashamed. I am so embarrassed that I must come to you with this. We're going to go further, obviously, but I want to pause here. Think what I said this morning. Now, I know, by the way, not every person that I was preaching to this morning goes into their prayer closet and says, Hi, God, it's Dwayne. I sinned. I'm sorry. And go out and do it again. I know we've got some godly people. But I, and a lot of godly people. But I'm saying that the habit of so many is to do exactly that. Do you see that anywhere in verses 6 and 7? Do you see anywhere in there Ezra going to God and saying, Hi, God, it's Ezra. We messed up. Oops, I'm sorry. Sin bucket empty. Let's go do something different. Do you see that? Do you see that? We don't, do we? These words grip my heart, guys. And I ask myself the question, Okay, God, when have I been so ashamed and embarrassed to come before you because of my sin or the sins of your people? Wow. Wow. He goes on and says, verse number 8. But now, this is incredible. Notice how well he knows God. But now, for a brief moment, grace has come from Yahweh our God to preserve a remnant for us and give us a stake in his holy place. Talking about the exiles coming back. Even in our slavery, God has given us new life. Is God a merciful God? How incredible. Even in our slavery, God, you showed us mercy and you gave us new life and light to our eyes. Though we are slaves, our God has not abandoned us in our slavery. He says, God, you're just so incredible. We, we deserve nothing. We did not deserve your mercy. And yet you gave us mercy. And God, you, you had every right to abandon us in Babylon. But you did not do that because you are a 
faithful God. He, I love you, this is just good stuff. He has extended grace to us in the presence of the captors of the Persian kings, given us new life so that we can rebuild the house of our God and repair its ruins to give us a wall in Judah and in Jerusalem. Now, this is so cool. Watch, 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 watch. Do you remember Wednesday night, those of you who were here, and we talked about that, that God sets apart His people and we're set apart for His purpose? Do you remember that? These exiles were allowed to go back for a purpose and a reason. And that was to go back and worship God by rebuilding the temple. Amen? That was their... Come on, come on. Amen? That was their purpose for being there. They abandoned that purpose. Ezra's saying, you sent us back to rebuild your temple, but these people instead have abandoned you. They've abandoned the purpose for which you sent us back. Now, verse 10. Now, our God, what can we say? What can we say in light of this? For we have abandoned the commands you gave through your servants, the prophets. And then he goes over what they have broken, what law they have broken, saying, the land you are entering to possess is an impure land. The surrounding peoples have filled it from end to end with their uncleanness by their impurity and detestable practices. So do not give your daughters to their sons in marriage or take their daughters for your sons. Neither seek their peace or prosperity. I love this. Don't look for peace and prosperity so that you'll be strong. Eat the good things of the land and leave it as an inheritance to your sons forever. He says, don't, don't buy into their economy. Don't do business like they do business. Can I have a witness today? Is that not what the church, is that, first off, is that not what America has done? Is that not what so many believers today have done? We conduct our lives. We do not forgive like forgiven people, but we rather hold grudges like unforgiven people. Do we not manage our money like the world manages money? Do we not conduct our moral character like the world and not like God's people? Oh, this, this should just strike so much a home with us. Verse number 13. All. After all that has happened to us, because of our evil deeds and terrible guilt. Now, notice that. What, what, what jumps out at you? He owns up the fact, one, we've done evil deeds, and two, we are terribly guilty. Do you see Ezra going, God, you just don't understand. There, was just, there were just no good Hebrew women. Have you seen Hebrew women? They are ugly. I mean, there's just no good Hebrew. You can't find a good Hebrew woman anymore. Like we tell our children sometimes. Honey, just date who you want to because you can't find any good men anyway. That's not what the Word of God says. That's not what the Word of God says. Because of our evil deeds and terrible guilt, though you, our God, now watch this, this is incredible, has punished, have punished us less than our sins deserve. That 70 years in Babylon, that was nothing compared to what we deserved. And when we have a little chasing along the way as believers in Christ, would you just keep in mind what He saved us from? When you think life is hard as a believer, when you think God seems a little bit unfair, would you just remember that you're not going to hell because of His amazing grace? 
Would you remember that when you die, that you will be in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ? And I'm not sure, I think there's an old song that says, it will be worth it all, folks. It will be worth it all. God, you punished us so much less than we deserve and have allowed us to survive. Should we break your commands again and intermarry with the peoples who commit these detestable practices? After all you've done, after you didn't punish us like we should have been punished, after you didn't give us what we deserve, should we break your commands and intermarry, he says? Wouldn't you... See, he understood. He understood God's holiness. Wouldn't you become so angry with us that you would destroy us, leaving no survivors? See, he understood that. See, a lot of people today who claim the name of Jesus still wrestle with the fact that a loving God will send lost people to hell. How could God do that? Because He's holy and you're totally depraved without Jesus. Because He hates sin. That's why. And Ezra understood. He understood that, you know, God, wouldn't you become so angry that you'd leave no remnant behind? Because you're so holy and we're so unholy. Lord God of Israel, you are righteous. For we survive as a remnant today because of your covenant that you made with, with, with the nation of Israel. There is a remnant today. We survive today. Here we are before you with our guilt. Though no one can stand in your presence because of this. Isn't that not incredible? Come on. It's incredible to me. And you know what I found myself saying? Can I just be honest with you? Give me this man's heart. God, give me Ezra's heart. Cause me to be over, overwhelmed and broken because of my sin and the sins of your people. God, make me an Ezra today. And then I say, God, make Dorisville an Ezra church where we are broken over our sin and broken over our country's sin. It's just incredible the way he talks as if it was his sin because he identifies with the people in their sin. Incredible. Well, in verse 10... In verse 10, we see Ezra continuing, but now it's kind of like he's moved to a private mode. While Ezra prayed and confessed, weeping and falling face down. Now, get this picture of true confession. While Ezra prayed and confessed, weeping and falling face down before the house of God. An extremely large assembly of Israelite men women and children gathered around him. So while he is praying, while he's confessing, while he's broken, this huge group of men, women, and children show up. Now you've got to ask what's going to happen. Now don't look, don't look, don't continue the verse number one. A, they're going to stone him. Who do you think you are, holier than thou, Ezra? We'll just pick up rocks, we'll kill you and get us a new leader. B, Ezra, you don't understand. What is the big deal? Like we said, there are no good Hebrew women anyway. It makes for good politics. Makes for good politics to intermarry. Come on, Ezra. It's not that big a deal. C, 
hi, we're the ones who sin and we're guilty. See. See. And you've got to wonder, what happened? And I want to think, I want to think, and I'm not sure how long this all took place, but I want to think that word got out of a man of God who was broken over the sins of God's people and it moved the people to respond. And I just wonder what would happen if the Word of God started working in our hearts and we started changing and confessing and being broken over sin in America and sin in our church. Would Word get out and revival would finally come in the church of God? How exciting that 30,000 people showed up in Texas for seven hours to fast and pray without politics without selling, without music, without gimmicks, without light shows, simply to come before God and say, God, forgive our country, and God, forgive us. That happened in Houston. The Bible says in that verse, the people wept bitterly. Then Shechaniah, son of Jehiel, an Elanite, responded to Ezra, we, it's not my brother, it's not my sister, it's me, O oh God. We have been unfaithful to our God by marrying foreign women from the surrounding peoples. I have to believe because of Ezra's authenticity that it caused others to get right with God. We have sinned. But, I love this, we have sinned by marrying foreign women, but there's still hope for Israel in spite of this. This man understood God's grace also. We have sinned against God, but there's still hope. And by the way, I'll just stop and pause there. There's still hope for America. But it lies in God's people getting honest before God. Have you figured out yet that a donkey or an elephant is not going to solve this country's problems? It will be Jesus Christ and God's people being used to bring this country around. It will not come in the form of a political party. It will be God Almighty. Let us therefore, verse 3, make a covenant before our God. To Watch, this is one of them. To send away all the foreign wives and their children, according to the counsel of my Lord, and of those who tremble at the command of our God. You, Ezra, the ones who gather around you. Let it be done according to the law. Get up, for this matter is your responsibility. We support you. Even though we're the guilty ones, even though we're going to bear the brunt of this, even though we've got the foreign wives and we're going to send our wives and our children of the foreign nature away, we support you. Now be strong and take action. How incredible that the ones who are going to, if you will, suffer from this, who are going to be affected by this, are saying to the man of God, be strong and take action. Verse 5. Then Ezra got up, made the leading priests, Levites, and all of Israel, take an oath to do what had been said. And so they took the oath. Let's get down to verse 7. They circulated a proclamation throughout Judah and Jerusalem that all the exiles should gather at Jerusalem. I like this. You ever, sometimes you ever need a little motivation factor? Whoever did not come within three days would forfeit all their possessions. 
according to the decision of the leaders and elders and would be excluded from the assembly of the exiles. So just in case you need a reason to come to church that week, if you don't come, we're going to keep your property. Pretty strong, huh? So all the men of Judah and Benjamin gathered in Jerusalem within three days. And on the 20th day of the ninth month, all the people sat in the square of the house of God. And they were trembling for two reasons. One, because of this matter. They were trembling. They had sinned against God and they recognized the gravity of that sin. But they're sitting in the rain. I think that's significant. In fact, when the part we're not going to read says, you know, because of the rain, we can't get this done right away. Can you give us a few days to get things done? But they're sitting in the rain. I mean, wouldn't it have been easy to say, not a good time. Can we maybe reschedule this? No, they recognize the, the gravity of the situation. And so, because of the matter, they were willing to sit in the heavy rain. And then Ezra the priest stood up and said to them, You have been unfaithful by marrying foreign women. Adding to Israel's guilt. But God understands our sin. After all, you're only human. Therefore, go home. I'm sure God will gloss this over for you. Is that what it says? No. Therefore, make a confession to Yahweh, the God of your fathers, and do His will. Separate yourselves from the surrounding peoples and your foreign wives. Ezra said, back by God, the answer to this is to send your foreign wives away. High, high cost. But I'm telling you this, guys, that cost is nothing compared to the cost of continued sin. And what we've got to understand as people, as a church, and as a nation... That no matter what the price is that God dictates to bring revival in America, it is nothing compared to the cost of continuing in sin as an individual, as a church, as a body, as a nation. We've got to get that. The price of unconfessed sin and continuing sin is huge. Huge. If we had time and people could be honest... We can have a line over here. People say, let me tell you what happened to me. And this was the price. This was the cost. This was the consequences. Verse 12, and we're done tonight. But then all the assembly responded with a loud voice. Yes, we will do as you say. Now, there's a few exceptions in the verses that follow about three or four people, it says. And a couple people supported those people. Because you're never going to get everybody. See, I think we're waiting, well, Pastor, if you will, and, and then I'll say, well, Donnie, if you will, and who's our vice chairman? Is it Bill Keating? If the vice chairman will, and if all the other deacons will, and the trustees might, and the Sunday school teacher will, and then we'll do that, then I will. It's in, guys, it's us and God. Come on, it's us and God. It's us and God. And the people overall responded and said, we will, yes, it's going to cost us. Yes, it's going to be hurt. Yes, it's painful. I mean, there were children by these women. And they were sent away. But that's the cost of sin. 
Because some of you, someone's out there going, I don't seem right to me. I, don't, I thought God believed in marriage and stuff. Son, this one's a rotten egg from the get-go. And God said the only answer is to separate that cancer from the body. And they did it. And they did it. And it all started with a guy who didn't have a foreign wife. It started with the brokenness of a man who loved God and loved the people of God. And I say, what grabbed my eye when, as I read this, and I, it was just incredible, how, what a stark difference that is from our idea of confession and even repentance and what Ezra did that day. And this, I, guys, I want to challenge you. I promise you this will not be the last time I'm going to look at this. This will, these notes, these scriptures, are going to go on my little table by my chair. And I'm going to pick it up tomorrow morning. I'm going to read them again. Because I've got a suspicion that there's hope for our country, that there's hope for families that are just being torn apart, that there's hope for our lives. It lies in a heart like Ezra's. It lies in brokenness. Remember Wednesday night, I think we said, with David? A bro- if, you know, God, if you wanted sacrifices, I would bring them. But, but the thing you want is a broken and contrite heart. A broken heart. God, that is something you won't refuse. Oh, he's impressed when we go to church. He's impressed when we have Bible studies. He's impressed when we read the Word of God. But you want to grab God? You grab God with a broken heart. Would you bow your heads there, please? Now, my invitation is real simple on this one. And I'll, again, it's with me. We need to ask God to bother us about this. We've got to ask God to bother us about sin. We've got to ask God to bother us about our casual confession of that sin. And I said this morning, I'll say it again. If you find yourself constantly going back to God with the, I'm sorry, God, I did it again, you either need an accountability partner, you, you need some kind of accountability, you need some way, some way where you'll answer to flesh and bones about that. And, and you've got, a good, got to get a good grip on what it really means to be repentant, and confessing sin. There's been areas of my life, usually involving weight or discipline or something like that, when I find myself going back to God again, God, I, I failed you in this. And this is really gripping my heart. Because I understand something. That if God convicts me of something, it's just not enough to say, I'm sorry. That confession involves action. Now, God, I thank you as I've gotten older, Lord, I've uh, got a deeper appreciation for your word. And this grabbed my eye, it grabbed my heart, it grabbed my attention. Father, I pray. And I'm not sure what the cost is. But I pray for me, and I pray for my brothers and sisters tonight. I pray for our church and for churches. God, that we would be so broken over our lives. And Father, for the friend who says tonight, I have no sin, 
Father, I remember the scripture this morning that we deceive ourselves. We deceive ourselves. Break us, Father. Open our eyes to see our sin. And then as we see it, help us to confess it as Ezra did. Give us a heart of Ezra. As my brother Donnie prayed in that Saturday morning prayer meeting, Father, please bother us. Please bother us. And Jesus, I pray this in your precious name. Amen.